Guys, um, this is High Point, and it is our joy to worship God together, but uh, we don't just come here with the intent to have a nice little moment for just us. We believe that God wants to use this church and that he wants to use you to engage our community. And if you've been here more than once, you've heard me say this. But I don't want it to fall on ears that that kind of just get used to Andy saying this. I know some of you have come from church hurts or church dings or pain this or pain that and or maybe you've never heard the gospel before and you made your way into our church and I'm thrilled by it but here's what I want to ask you to begin doing and pray about doing not so that we can just look at ourselves and beat our chest but because we have a heart for our city and our community here's what we need to be thinking about doing we need to think about reaching the people around us the person who doesn't have a church, the person who doesn't have, uh, hasn't heard the gospel, has never been in a life group before, doesn't know what community is like. Can we begin to make some of those shifts, even in our own lives, in the midst of traffic, life groups, worship team, practice, serving, sports? Let us lift our eyes and begin to look at our community. Let's begin to engage them differently. Amen? Let's begin to do that. Can everybody say amen to that? Yes, that is a worthy venture as a church. We need to be doing that. And because we are passionate about reaching people, not just here, but reaching people abroad, I wanted to bring Jason and Amy Hubbard up on the stage for just a moment. Come on up here, guys. And yes, put your hands together for the great Jason and Amy Hubbard. Let me move my really nifty stand. Hold on a second. Actually, I'm not going to do that. Uh, no, we'll just, we'll just stay right here. They're amazing. They have their High Point Kids t-shirts on because they're serving with High Point Kids, which we love. And uh, your kids are, are thrilled and blessed to have them as teachers. Some of them are in the back, literally watching right now. So I'm going to hand the microphone to Jason and Amy here in just a second so they can tell you what they're getting ready to be doing. But we're going to pray for them. For those of you who don't know, Jason and Amy spent 10 years in Australia uh, pastoring a church there uh, and recently moved back. Two years ago? Yeah. Two and a half years ago? And have the opportunity to really you know, start furthering some of those missionary efforts and uh, have an exciting opportunity. And with that, let me hand that microphone to you. Great. Excellent. Yeah, we are really looking forward to, to being able to get back to Australia after a couple of years gone. One, just to see our, our you know, close, dear friends in the church that we were you know, just fortunate enough to to pastor for uh, many years, and um, we ha- Amy will be doing a women's meeting. We have a singles meeting that we're doing. Um, they, we've, we're going to be preaching in, in several of the congregations and just getting to minister and, and, and be there also. We get to go to Darling Harbor. If you haven't been to Australia, to Sydney, you want to you hit Darling Harbor and Circular Quay and the beaches? Oh, yeah. Can't wait. So I leave... <laughs> I leave on Monday. Amy, Amy will leave on Thursday. We'll be there uh, for about 10 days. And then I'll be heading to 
um, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia for um, a gathering of all the pastors of, of, in every nation of, in the South Pacific and missionaries. Since I work for the missions department of every nation as well as um, on the pastoral staff here, um, I'm going to be gathering the missionaries together there and just encouraging them, giving them a gift, hearing stories, and seeing any way we can serve them better as a movement. So, Ju? We're really excited. We'd yes. love your prayers for us as we go. If you've ever, if you happen to have kids, you know what it's like when you leave town. You have to like write a novel's worth of instructions. I feel like Paul the Apostle, like writing detailed, like, oh my gosh. Is that how you feel? I mean, I'm very similar to the Apostle Paul. <laughs> um, I, it is, I, thank you for bringing us up because I think it is good to remember and to know that, yes, we're High Point Atlanta and we're passionate about Kennesaw and our local community, but we're connected with a worldwide family. Every nation is, is a worldwide movement of churches, and we plant churches, we start campus ministries, and we invest in world missions. And so um, you have a part in that, and part of that is... You guys sending us, so thank you. We're definitely going to pray, but before I do, I have to say that the thought of you writing an epistle, like, to your family, I can literally just say, like, grace and peace to you, my beloved friends and family. I would like to tell you the snacks that Nate needs for school. <laughs> it's amazing. That's so amazing. So, guys, do this. Stretch out a hand, would you please? I know not all of us can get on the stage, but we see the power and the laying on of hands in Scripture. We want to pray for them uh, boldly that God would use them to bring tr just great courage to our churches there. Uh, wisdom for Jason as he's speaking to larger groups of pastors who I can promise you need encouragement. And so God is going to use them to do that. And we want to pray for them, their family here, uh, and just safe travels while they go. Father, thank you for Jason and Amy. We thank you for the encouragement they are to us, God, and what they bring here to High Point. And, uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for the amount of effort they have given and sown uh, into Australia. We thank you for the church there, and we pray a blessing upon it. Uh, and for them, Lord, as they begin to head out to minister and encourage and teach uh, the local church there. God, give them strength and wisdom to do it. God, we pray for Jason as he's gathering uh, pastors from the South Pacific. God, let courage truly be imparted to them. And God, we pray also just for comfort, uh, grace, and peace to their family. Uh, Lord, that's here. Uh, Lord, everything from snacks to volleyball practices. Uh, Lord, to just, uh, Lord, literally just peace, uh, grace and peace in their heart while their folks are away. We pray that you'd protect them in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Love you guys. Thank you. I don't know why that still makes me laugh. The thought of that. My beloved, grace and peace to you. <laughs> Sorry. If you know anything about me, I jokes are my thing. I love to laugh. And so even, even as I'm preaching, uh, guess what? I love... I think we can come and worship Jesus together and be ministered to and grow and also have a good time together. I think that those realities can exist. And for many of us, they have never existed simultaneously. And guess what? Welcome to High Point Church where you can love Jesus, where you can worship Jesus, and you can have fun doing it at the same time. Okay. My rant is over. So it's October. 
It's pumpkin spice lattes. Apparently, another hurricane. Um, I, I don't make light of that. Sorry if, if that is impacting family or friends. I literally didn't know until last night that there was another hurricane coming through. Um, but I did something this fall that uh, I like to do, which is kind of weird, and don't judge me, but I like a good thriller, spooky movie from time to time. Not too far. You know, I don't want, none of the horror nonsense that's out there with the people being butchered by Jason or Friday, whatever those movies are. I don't do that. But I like a little thriller from time to time. And on iTunes this week, the very original 1931 Frankenstein was on sale. Can you raise your hand if you have seen the original Frankenstein? It's very few of you. I'm impressed, though, that some of you have actually, I'd never seen it. And I am a movie nerd, a movie buff, and I had never seen this movie, and I just, the Holy Spirit wanted me to do it. So I watched the original Frankenstein. We're in a series called Stranger Things, which if you've Netflixed the show, it has a little bit of, you know, kind of the X-Files vibe to it. It's a little spooky-esque, spooky thriller kind of a show. And some of you literally after last week went home and have been binge-watching the show on Netflix. That wasn't my intent, although it is worthy of a binge-watch. But in the midst of that, I watched Frankenstein. And it's interesting how, joking aside, God can speak to you through silly things like a movie from time to time. And I'm sitting here watching this movie, which is in black and white. And by the way, it's not scary at all, even mildly not scary. And I'm sitting there watching this movie of this monster who, you know, the lightning, if you're familiar with the story, the, the lightning is striking, and the electricity is, is doing what it's doing. It, it, you know, there's a current. It's, it's, it's literally flowing into this body that Dr. Frankenstein has put together with body parts, with the hope that that which is dead can be made alive again. And if you've been around Christianity long enough, you might already have an idea of where I'm going, but here we are looking at things that are strange and even watching the movie. No one, no one in the movie even reacted to this idea that that which is dead being made alive again was that strange. And as Christians, that narrative and that story should be something that resonates with us with tremendous ease. That that which is dead can be made alive. That which is buried can rise again. That isn't that strange, is it? At least it shouldn't be for you and I. Paul says it like this. He says, oops, there we go, Romans 6, 2 through 4. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too 
may live a new life. You were dead, and now you're alive. It doesn't sound altogether that different from the story of Frankenstein, doesn't it? That this dead thing that was buried can be made alive again. And I want to submit to you that even in the movie when you're watching it, even in the thrillers that you watch now, even as we speak of this idea of conversion and being born again and being made new, what is strange is not that something that's dead can be made alive again. It's that something can be made alive but still live like it's dead. In other words, it's dead, it's made alive, and then this thing that's made alive chooses to live like a monster all over again. And when we're talking about things that are strange in this series called Stranger Things, that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I would like to submit to you as being strange. Why would someone who's made new, who has experienced the life of Jesus, continue to live jacked up, broke down, Frankenstein kind of life. You guys with me this morning? Tracking with me. All right. Everybody do this. Everybody take their hands. Give me, I need some spirit fingers. Do you like that? For those of you who are sure, okay, that's enough. That was excellent. You, you were very good. I'm just making sure everybody's alive this morning. Wes said it well. It is one of those rainy, sleepy days. It's a little overcast. I don't want you to, don't lose me here today. This is a great message for you and I to bury deep in our hearts. It's miraculous to be dead and then made alive. It's strange to be alive but live like you're dead. 1 Peter chapter 2 says it like this. This is Peter, one of the right hands of Jesus. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And a Gentile is, is somebody who's not a Jew, which would make about 99% of you a Gentile. Keep your behavior excellent among them so that in this thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. I know it's kind of a wordy sentence. But it's this idea of stranger things. Because God has destined us, if not just a little bit, to a life of being strange. The problem is, oftentimes we're strange for the wrong reasons. God has made us alive, yet we turn and try to live like the rest of the world again. And ladies and gentlemen, that is strange, but strange for all the wrong reasons. There is something that you might be identified as being a little weird about or a, a little strange about, and that's actually living for Jesus in a world that doesn't recognize him as Lord and Savior, as King or as boss. That might get you 
identified as a little bit different. And that is part of what living for Jesus just might look like for you. In fact, I'll say it this far. If no one ever looks at you and thinks, boy, that that guy or that girl really, geez, they're kind of a little different. If that never happens with people who do not know Christ, then maybe how you live for Christ really isn't that compelling. Ouch. So let's, let me share a story about that. Because in case you're sitting here and you're like, wow, Andy's, you know, Andy's coming at me today. Well, join the, join the club for all of us. I remember when I was, when I was just in ministry. I'm, I'll bear my soul to you this morning. In Nashville, Tennessee, I don't even know how young I was. I was early 20s. And had, was in, had been in a Bible study uh, for fraternity students, and I went, and I, I loved it. I hadn't heard, you know, preaching quite like this before. I knew the gospel. I'd grown up in church, but this was compelling in a way that made me want to reorient my life and give my passion to Jesus. And so I went from being a finance econ major. I finished my degree in finance and economics, but I went into ministry and scared my parents half to death, wondering what on earth is my kid doing? My mother will be listening to this podcast. Mom, thank you for being gracious. And I remember being a college pastor and also a high school pastor. And there was this venue at our church. Our church had about 200 teenagers that it had grown to. That's right. Our church had 200 just teens, okay? It was crazy. And we rented this venue in Nashville called The Warehouse. And it was awesome and cool. Stephen knows because Stephen was there. I've known Stephen a long time. And it was a recording studio, and they had this live stage, and it was, you know, there was lights, and it was awesome. It was so cool. If you were a teenager, you thought this is just the dopest joint to go and have, you know, worship service for nothing but teens. And so they went, and they would come, and I was preaching a message. I mean, it's embarrassing some of the things I have preached in my day as a young pastor and minister of the gospel. But in this particular setting, I had a podium just like this and a bottle of water on it, you know, in case I got parched and I'm preaching about fear. There's 200 teens. You know what teens like to do? Not pay attention. And there's a group of teenagers that just, they just, it was like sandpaper. And I'd finally had it. And so they're yapping, and, you know, I see the guy with his arm around his girl. I'm like, oh, no. This is not happening. They're not paying attention. They're not listening. This is the gospel. How dare you not pay attention to me? So I twisted the top off my water bottle, and I threw it. (laughs) I'm not proud of that moment. (laughs) 
<laughs> you can imagine that the pastor that pastored me, I had a nice moment with them later that week. And he explained to me something that I had forgotten. And that's that many of these teens that were coming were coming from a place of tremendous brokenness. Some of them were getting picked up on buses and brought to this place called the warehouse. And here, where they're supposed to be experiencing a place of trust, and yes, we want respect, and yes, we want to embrace, you know, uh, an environment where people honor and all that stuff. I, I get all of that. But the reality is, in, in an environment where they shouldn't be encountering anger, what they got was their pastor popping the top off of his bottle and chucking it like a grenade. I was mad. And totally let loose. And I say that to say that here I am preaching about fear and preaching about the adventure of living for Jesus. And when I really start to pull, when I would begin to peel back the layers of what it was that bothered me so much about these teens not listening to me, it was actually rooted in the very thing that I was preaching about. I'm standing up here preaching about fear, and the thing that's motivating me to throw this bottle of water wasn't really disrespect. It was fear that was eating away at the inside of me at being insignificant, of being a pastor that no one wanted to listen to. <laughs> I could go on at how I was feeling in the moment, but understand here I was demonstrating and preaching something that in the very moment I wasn't actually living. James says it like this in James chapter 1. This is Jesus' brother. He says, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. You know that you can come to church and be deceived? Isn't that a crazy thing to think about? That you can stand on a stage and preach and be in deception. Oh, surprise, you see it all the time. You can preach and be in deception. You can be worshiping God with your hands raised and be in deception. You can have your ears tuned perfectly to the words that are coming out, even as you might be reading a passage on a screen and still be deceived. The, per, the deception is that you don't know. You don't see it. Do not merely listen to the word and so stay or be deceived. What does James say? Do what it says. It's amazing rocket science, isn't it? But it is something that plagues, especially the Bible Belt. This idea that coming, attending, and hearing equates to a changed life or even knowing Jesus. 
And James is saying, do not simply hear this, do this. Because you can hear it all day long. And if you're not careful, you'll slip into the motion and the routine and the life and the culture and the words that everybody uses. And you won't realize that you aren't actually doing the very thing that you're talking about all the time. Parents, you know this when you, this is a terrible thing to say. When, when parents say this, don't say this to your children. P.S. This is free. Do as I say and not as I do. That's dumb. Okay? Yet how often do we live it? Where my mouth is bigger than my feet. Where I can talk and I love the culture of it all, but I'm not actually doing it. Now, let's be very clear in in this churchification of things. I'm not saying that you earn your salvation by doing or that you have relationship with Jesus because you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you do for the glory of God. No, not at all. The reason we do and the reason there are works in the first place is because of what Jesus did on the cross and what he did inside of your heart. But so often we have this encounter where our heart has changed and then we willfully and willingly walk back and start living like a monster all over again. Let's not do that. Maybe a better question is why do we do that? It's a big word called deception. Think about this for a second. What are all the things that Christians talk about doing? What are your classic Christian buzzwords? Generosity. Purity. Kindness. Love. Faith. Trust. Repentance. We could go on. Even as I'm saying this, here's what the gospel, when it's really at work in our lives, this is what it forces us to do. Am I really doing it and living out the gospel, or am I really doing a lot more talking about it? So when we talk about being generous, are you growing in generosity? Are you cultivating that in your life? Because one of the things that the early church was known for that caused explosion in the early church and in the surrounding cities was the revolutionary life of generosity that they lived. It was one of the most confusing and strange things that a body of people would be this generous why would you do that? Because Jesus gave everything for me. And I, in turn, can give and be generous, not only to God, but to the people around me. Are you growing in generosity? How about kindness? Are you, are you kind? Are you growing in the gift of kindness? 
If you'd been at my house yesterday, we found a snake in our garage. And I wanted to be merciful. My wife was ready to murder that thing. Amen. It probably was the right thing to do. <laughs> I'll talk about that story later. But in all seriousness, kindness. Are, we, are you known for being kind? It's weird to think about it. That people would look at your life and it would almost be as if you're kind of strange because you're just so darn nice. Or are you the guy on the interstate who's just, ah, angry, frustrated with that driver, impatient with people around you, impatient with your children? I know, parents. I know. But are we growing in kindness? Are you growing in purity? See, this is a sensitive conversation. Because in our culture, American Christianity, like never before, has detached sexual purity from the worship of God. Meaning that I can worship God with everything in my heart, yet overhear the purity of my life as it pertains to sex, sexuality. That I'm going to hold on to right over here. And what we don't realize is, is that if you're not careful, we start living a monstrous life all over again. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Okay, let's break this down. Because this is just one of those areas. If you know me, we're not afraid to talk about you know, difficult things or challenging things. And I say, I say this phrase a lot, in grace and love. And I say this with grace but also with truth, right? When we talk, when the Bible talks about sexual immorality or sexual purity, we're talking about having sex with somebody that isn't your spouse. And that goes for people who are not married as well. Not just once you get married, breaking the covenant of marriage. But what does it look like to honor God with your sexuality, I don't say this with condemnation in my heart. What I'm saying is that there is a better way. There's a better way to do this. And oftentimes we're eating dog food and we think it's the steak dinner. And Jesus is over here saying, you have turned away from the seven-course meal. And you're eating Alpo again. Come on. There's a better way to do this. And by the way, just like, uh, just like the, Peter says, people, will be, people who don't know Jesus will be so stricken by the manner in which you live your life, they may try to slander you. and The words might be on the tip of their tongue, but the reality is when it, when it comes time to slander you or say it, they have nothing to say. The strange manner in which you live truly is compelling. I don't necessarily get that, but man, I'm sure curious about it. Oh, we're not going to have sex before we're We're just going to move in together. Okay, I hear you. As your pastor who loves you and adores you and wants what's best for you, you need to know, statistically speaking, you have a 33% higher chance of getting divorced 
Why? Because we're putting ourselves in situations and scenarios, number one, that make it very easy to compromise what's true. And if you're going to start out a relationship by willfully putting yourself in situations of compromise or ones that are easy to do, what are you going to do when the, tough, when the stuff gets really difficult? I thought... I'm going to bear my soul one more time. I thought not having sex before I, I got married was difficult. And then I got married and had children. And I was, began to lose my sanity. And I realized there are a lot of other things that are difficult. God, what am I going to, what am I going to stand on and say, no, I'm not moving? Because if you can begin to stand on some things over here and say, come hell or high water, I'm not budging. I'm not moving. I am putting the purity of my relationship with Jesus first. I'm putting being kind first. I'm growing in generosity. I will not compromise. I promise you when other things come and the storms do come and the storms that come that are bigger and badder, you will have a whole life of times where you've built up and said, I'm not budging and I'm not moving. That's strange nowadays. I realize that. It is. <laughs> it's flat out strange. And yet it is the good life and the great life that Jesus has called us to. I realize this is why it's deception. Because we look and we say, man, the apple over here looks so good and so shiny. But Jesus has made a better way of kindness, of generosity, of love, of repentance, of purity, of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, of humility. The list goes on. You guys know what it's like being jealous, being angry, being short-tempered, full of lust, bitterness, rage, road rage. I didn't know. I, I had a conference, you know, that was in Duluth, and I live in, I don't even know what side of Kennesaw west side of Kennesaw. And I had to be there at 7, about 7.15 every morning. 7.30. It was two hours. Two hours driving there and two hours driving back every day. Some of you do that every day. And I'm not, in general, not doing that. I understand why people have road rage. <laughs> By the time I got home, I was tapped. And yet, God, how do I, what do I do? How do I maintain who you have called me to be? You've called me to live a life alive, not that of the monster within. So what do we do about it? Even as we begin to close this morning, it's a, it's a, it is a simple message today. Peter says to abstain from worldly lusts, from fleshly lusts. And you know, sometimes this word abstain or, or, or this idea of 
running right from this fight. For those of you who are military, who are police, who want to run into the battle, much of what we see it works in in the opposite throes of of what you would naturally desire to do but but abstaining is not the same thing as as running into the fight and creating a temptation or or putting yourself in the situation where you got to work extra hard throughout scripture we see get out of there run from that lace up your shoes and go abstain from fleshly desires this is not passive. This isn't just, oh man, as it comes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of take care of it on a need-to-know basis or, you know, as it, as it pops up. No, to abstain. It's about relentless upkeep. When my son told me that he thought he saw a snake in the garage. <laughs> I didn't even really, I wasn't sure if I believed him. Kids have a way of exaggerating things. I was like, oh, okay. I went out there, you know, started poking around. Amy came out there. She said, where'd you see a snake? Right over here. I thought I did. Okay, so... We pulled it out. Have you ever done something where you're looking so close at something that you actually don't see the big thing? Like it's the whole frame of your viewpoint. I jumped about nine feet when we pulled this thing back because it was not a small snake. And it's interesting because there's a snake you couldn't have a better perfect illustration. There's a snake where it does not belong. In my garage, this is where my children are. This is where my wife is. This is where I am. This is where our toys are and our bikes are. This thing does not belong over here. And so when the scriptures talk about abstaining and this relentless sense of upkeep of your life and relationship with Jesus... All of a sudden, we began to rearrange furniture, and I'm moving chairs, and I'm moving tables, and we're literally dragging, you know, shelves that weigh 100 pounds out of the way to make way for this snake. And I pull out that shovel, and I start to poke it. We get a trash can. We pull the lid off. Amy's hiding behind a shelf with a rake, you know, and it was, am it was amazing. My next-door neighbor who is the voice of the fish, Kevin. It's probably going to be on. He will probably describe this whole story on the radio tomorrow. He's got his phone out. His wife has his, their phone out. They're videoing this whole thing, and I finally get this snake up on a shovel. And I turn, and they're not even there anymore. They run. They literally ran. They ran. We get this thing in the, in the trash can, and we take it where it goes. And I got to thinking, literally just walking back to my house, is this not a picture of the gospel? Is this not the relentless upkeep that we are to have when enemy is knocking at the door? When temptation is crouching and wanting to get its way in, whether it's to lose your temper, whether it's, to, whether it's living in anger all the time, or, or short-temperedness, or impurity, or just being a fool. 
Do we not take inventory and say, no, not today. I have been changed. I have been made new. God has risen from the grave and he has imparted that gift to me. Far be it from me to continue eating dog food over here when there's a seven-course steak dinner. And you do whatever it takes to get that thing out. We're called to know nothing different. That's why Jesus says it so well. Is that causing you to stumble? Or is that causing you to sin? Cut your hand off. He's not being literal. He's saying remove that thing. We're going to pray in just a moment. We're in this series called Stranger Things. And the idea behind the first two messages is simple. That Jesus has called you to live a strange kind of life. And that strange kind of life means Jesus above everything. Jesus first, above your relationships, your marriage, your money, your job, your friendships. Jesus above everything. Whether that looks strange to the people around you does not matter. So this morning, here's what we do. We just pray. This is your moment to just say, Jesus, I'm giving this to you. Jesus, this isn't right. Jesus, I've had a, a crank attitude as of late. I've been losing my temper. I've got, I've got a, I've, I'm struggling with purity in this area. I'm looking at this. I'm struggling with greed here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is your moment. Give it to God. Turn to him. I'm inviting you this morning to be a little bit strange. Father, be with us. Lord, even on this rainy day, God, we come in this place and we worship you. And Lord, even for those of us who are sitting here and who are unsure, who don't quite know, Jesus, maybe who you are, if you are who you said you are. I pray even right now for those sitting here who are still on the fence, and I pray for faith to rise up inside of them. God, I pray that you would meet them. I thank you that you are a gracious God, and you are not afraid of questions. God, would you answer the questions that lie deep in the hearts of people here this morning? Would you move in their life? Would you show them the reality of who you are and your death, burial, and resurrection for them? And God, would you help us today? God, for those of us where we've wandered, where we've, where we've traded in, where, we, where we're living, God, a monstrous life, so to speak, where it's just, where it's just not you. You're not first. Your kingdom isn't first. Would you help us today? If you're sitting here this morning and you know that is me, I am not trusting God or there's an area in my life I just need to surrender afresh to Jesus, would you raise your hand with me this morning? We're going to pray together right where we're at. There's no pressure. 
There's no stress or strain. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you are the king of my heart. You are the king of everything in my life. And today, I give it all to you. I hold nothing back, Lord. I worship you this morning. I surrender all to you. I surrender all.